Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Now, you liked that, didn't you? I did too. They did a great job. Thank you guys for coming in. And we're going to add a little music to this service beginning next um, Wednesday night. We'll just sing a couple of songs together, and then someone's going to sing for us, our special, and then we'll look at God's Word. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. I understand that one of our members, uh, Sue... I think her name's Mildred, but everybody knew her as Sue. Scott passed away today, and so we need to pray. They've been members here since 2018, but we need to pray for the Scott family. So before we begin, let's just pause and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray and that we never have to have an appointment. We can walk right into your throne of grace in time of need And we lift up the Scott family and ask that you would comfort them and help them. Thank you that uh, Sue is with you, and we know that, but we pray for her sweet family, that you would help them during this time and all the arrangements that have to be made and family issues. I just pray, God, that you would help them. We pray you'll speak to us tonight. Encourage us, challenge us, convict us, and help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness or hardness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Things always change. About the time you think everything is just like you want it, something changes, doesn't it? And we don't like change most of the time. I heard of a woman who was contacting her high school classmates about an upcoming 50th reunion. And many were excited about seeing their old friends, but one man wrote back to the woman and he said, I have the five B's, baldness, bifocals, bridge work, bulges, and bunions. (laughs) One man wrote, I wasn't half the man then than I am today. But another woman wrote these words. She said, I can't wait to see everyone. I have changed completely. 
In high school, I was the class tramp. I had no standards and everybody knew it. But a few years after high school, I received the Lord Jesus as my savior. My life was transformed. And because of Christ, I'm not the person I was and I want my classmates to know about it. Salvation is not a a matter of self-improvement or perfection of what was previously there. It is a total transformation of a person's life. God doesn't just warm us over like leftovers and send us on our way. No, he makes us completely new. He forgives us of our sins, transforms our life. The New Testament speaks of believers having a new mind, a new will, a new heart, an inheritance, a new relationship, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new perception, a new understanding, a new righteousness, a new love, a new desire, a new citizenship, a new citizenship and that's just a few of the things. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in newness of life. Now, somebody might actually think, well, it was pretty easy for Paul to be a Christian. After all, it was the first century. They didn't have to deal with the kind of stuff we have to deal with. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because people like, who make statements like that have no idea what people were going through in the first century. Ephesus was one of the most vile cities in Asia Minor. Life in Ephesus revolved around a temple, a pagan temple that was dedicated to the goddess known as Artemis by the Greeks and known as Diana to the Romans. The temple itself housed a thousand female priestesses who were prostitutes and illicit sex was part of the temple, temple ritual. There was a quarter mile buffer around the temple, the pagan temple, that was a zone, a haven for criminals. If they could make it to that zone, you couldn't prosecute them. You couldn't, pers- you couldn't arrest them. I think California may be taken after that. So the center of Ephesus was known, the very center was known for idolatry, for illicit sex, for hardened criminals, and through the preaching of Paul and others, a small group found Jesus and their lives were changed. And so they really became like an island in a cesspool of wickedness. And as as a tiny minority in Ephesus, these believers stood out like a bright star against black velvet. They just were, even though they were a minority, they were persecuted and hounded by all these other pagans because now they were different. They were not the same anymore. And to think that the first century Christians had it easy is preposterous. They wrestled with pressures that a lot of us have never ever even thought about having to wrestle with. And against that backdrop, Paul writes the book or the letter to the Ephesians. And he begins this next part with a sense of urgency that's born out of his conviction that Christianity is a new revolutionary way of living. 
It is totally different than the old way of life. And the practices of the rest of the population, they began to be different and people began to treat them harshly because they no longer participated with them. In our nation, in America, Christianity's been part of the culture for a long time. And as a result of that, there are a lot of people have grown up around it and maybe they go to church every now and then or because maybe their family were believers or Christians that they just sort of think they are themselves and yet there's no difference in their life than the life of the pagans. Now, we're not better than anyone. We're just forgiven. And God has transformed our life. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not the old man warmed up and sent on his way. He's a new creation. It's transformational. You cannot be a Christian and continue to live like you did before you knew Christ. Not and enjoy it anyway. Not and be miserable. So Paul compares the two lifestyles. Before and after. You've seen before and after pictures, especially when people lose weight. I'm the before picture. <laughs> Some of you be the after picture. But in here, you find a before and an after. And so the first one we'll look at is what I call the corrupt waves of the Christless man. You'll notice he uses the word Gentiles. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. The word is ethnos, ethnicity, ethnic. Refers to racially and ethnically to all non-Jews. But it also meant all those who were pagans. And so here it refers to people without Christ. When he's talking about as the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ is what he means. And he refers to them in several ways. He said, first of all, you'll notice several things about them. First of all, they are intellectually futile. Verse 17, in the futility of their minds. They have a philosophy of despair. They don't think right. It's interesting that Paul begins by talking about how we think. Why, why do you think that? <laughs> because how we think determines how we act. And so it all begins in what you're thinking. Now, I'm not one of those positive thinking guys, but it's significant that the basic issue of life centers around the mind. To the Greeks, the mind was all important. They prided themselves in all their literature and all their art and their philosophy and their politics and science. They were so advanced that the Romans were glad to get a Greek slave because they could teach their children and they would tutor them. And so when they conquered the Greeks, they would love to have somebody that would have the Greek background or the Greek lifestyle because they were intellectually very smart. They believed, in fact, Greeks believed that almost any problem could be reasoned to a solution. You just think it out or logically enough, you'll reason out a solution. But the word futile or futile means something that doesn't produce the desired result. 
or it means to live without any purpose. It does not succeed. In other words, Paul is saying they can think all they want, but it's not going to get them anywhere. It's, it's not going to lead to a changed life. It's going to lead to nowhere. It's futile. It doesn't, it doesn't make it. And a person without Christ consumes himself with the goals that are purely selfish, accumulating everything they can on this earth, and yet looking for satisfaction, they just don't find it. You, you can just hear it in the, in the, the words and the, the thoughts of people. They can't find what they're looking for. And yet we have. We know it's Jesus. We know that. But for the rest of the world out there that don't believe in Jesus, they're going nowhere. They're lost. They're futile in their thinking. In fact, you can take it from the man, the richest man who ever lived, Solomon, who wrote in Ecclesiastes 2.26, he said that all this stuff that the world has to offer is vanity and striving after the wind doesn't take you anywhere doesn't satisfy. How do you explain the people that are so famous? And I'm speaking in generalities. There are a few exceptions, but mostly those who are famous, whether they're athletes or Hollywood actors or movie stars, whatever you want to call them. And they've got, they have everything that this world can offer. And yet a lot of them can't make a marriage work. And a lot of them commit suicide. A lot of them, they just wind up taking drugs. Why is that? Because that stuff doesn't satisfy. But we're, we're led to believe, we're people are led to believe that the more of this stuff you get, the happier you're going to be, but that's futile. Because you get it, it doesn't bring the desired result. And so he said, quit walking like people who are futile in their thinking. Who do you follow? Now, you folks, you've got to be following the right people or you wouldn't even be here on Wednesday night. I mean, if you're here on Wednesday night, you love Jesus. (laughs) But people today follow futile thinkers. They remind me of a guy who was driving in a very dense fog. We've had a little of that lately. And the only object that he could see clearly were the taillights of the car in front of him. So he began to follow the car, the taillights, in front of him so he'd be certain that he could stay on the road. And after a while, without any warning, the taillights came to a complete stop and he ran into the back of them. And he got out and he was angry. He said, why did you give some kind of signal that you were going to stop? And the other man said, why should I? I'm in my garage. (laughs) Well, people are following people to the garage. They're just, there's no place to go. They're also ignorant of God's truth. They're in mental darkness, having their understanding darkened. We have at our disposal today more knowledge than we've ever had before. And yet, people are still ignorant when it comes to God. 
Now, I'm not saying ignorant from the standpoint of they're uneducated. They just don't understand the ways of the Lord. They don't understand Christianity. It says being darkened. That's a perfect participle indicating a continuing condition of spiritual darkness. It implies ignorance and immorality. Someone has written that the mind of an unbeliever is like a dark closet having no windows closed off from the light of God by a door that is bolted by unbelief. They are walking around in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 states that Satan, the God of this world, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of them lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. When we sing songs that said, I once was blind, but now I see, that's what you're talking about. The lights come on. The Holy Spirit's revealed the Lord to you. You have been saved. You can see spiritually speaking. But those without Jesus, they are in darkness. It doesn't mean that unbelievers aren't intelligent or intellectual. It means that their minds have been blinded to spiritual truth. In fact, they look at us as the ones who are crazy. Professing themselves to be be wise, they became Fools. The gospel is foolish to them. They can't understand why anyone would believe. Look at Hollywood. You, do you ever see Hollywood? Now, I know we have a lot of Christian movies coming out today, and they're good. But when you have secular writers, those without Christ, them trying to describe Christianity, they never get it right, do they? They don't understand it. In fact, they always try to go to the Catholic church and find somebody, and they sure don't understand Christianity if that's all they know. Uh, And you got to understand my heart. I don't mean to be ugly, but it's the truth. Uh, You know, uh, they just don't understand. It reminds me of a guy who came to the return counter at Walmart, and he said to the clerk, I want to return this thermos. And the clerk said, is it defective? And he said, yes. It does not work the way it's supposed to. I was told it would keep things hot, hot things hot, and cold things cold, and it doesn't do either. The clerk said, well, what did you put in it? He said, two cups of coffee and an ice cream sandwich. (laughs) He didn't understand what a thermos was. Well, they're the same kind of thinking. They understand it's dark, and they don't understand what Christians are. They don't understand what we do. They don't understand how we live. They don't understand the hope that we have. They, all they figure is, you know, you, you must be a bunch of neurotic people that, are, that need a crutch. Oh, we don't need a crutch. We need a savior. <laughs> we need deliverance. The, the scripture talks about lost people that don't fully understand. 2 Timothy 3, 7, for example. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The understanding is darkened. And, it, and it's, it's, it's also, it says their understanding is darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the hardness of their heart. Now, let me stop for a minute. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. And you can... You can Make, you can put yourself to sleep trying to figure this one out tonight. 
Okay. But when you take light away, you have darkness. You don't make darkness. That's what's there when there's no light. Well, who's the light? God is. And when God is not there, they're in darkness. In fact, the second death, hell, is a place of darkness. Why? Because God's not there. And so people who live in darkness, there's a a spiritual disconnect until they find Jesus, until they find that their sins can be forgiven and the life, the light comes into their life. Um, We're made to know God. I've said this a kajillion times, so it's gonna be a kajillion and one now. When man was created, God created him in his image. We have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is a body, soul, and spirit. When, we, when man sinned, God withdrew his spirit from man, and he died spiritually. A vacuum formed. And because of that, he didn't have anything to guide his mind, emotions, and will, his soul. Progressively, we've gotten worse And eventually, we died in our body. But when Christ comes into your life, he fills that vacuum and gives you the light of life. He begins to then affect your thinking, your mind, your emotions, and will. We become more like him. And ultimately, we get a promotion to another tent, an an eternal one because we don't want this one for eternity. It's not fit for eternity. But why, did you notice in verse 18, it says they're having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness or blindness of their heart. Now that word hardness carries the idea of being rock hard. If some of you have broken a bone. So far, I have not. Um, mainly because most of the injuries happened to my head, and that's the hardest part on me. <laughs> but, but if you have broken a bone, where the bone heals, there's an extra layers, extra layers of calcium, and that, come, that becomes actually harder than the rest of your bone where it heals. Um, Sometimes we have formations that occur in the joints that that cause them to become immobile. That's the word that's used here. Their heart becomes so hard and, and alienates them. So dark, so believers, excuse me, unbelievers, they have no light. You wonder why people do the things they do? You wonder how man can be so demented and be so barbaric and do the things they do? Because they're in darkness. It's not an excuse, but it's that's the way they are. And why why can you and I not fathom that? Why I sometimes go, I can't believe somebody would do that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit now lives in me, and it's just not gonna happen. 
And you and I can't fathom that anymore because we've been transformed. The third thing is they are insensitive to moral law. It says in verse 19, being past feeling, past it, giving themselves over to licentiousness. When people continue to walk away from God and live in sin, they become apathetic and insensitive to moral and spiritual things. They reject all standards of righteousness. Hence, you see what's happening in our own nation. We take prayer out of schools and we take God out of everything and then we're just amazed at how immoral and pathetic we've become because they become insensitive to moral law. And then, then they begin to make their own rules. Willie Nelson bought his own golf course, I've been told or read, and somebody asked him what the par was, and he said, anything I want it to be. He said, you see that hole over there? There's a par, that's par 47. And yesterday I birdied it. <laughs> now, if you don't know what that means, that was, he shot a 46. That's the kind of golf course I need. But man takes his life. So we don't need God. And henceforth, look at, all, look at all the ways that man seems, about the time you think we can't pervert life anymore, we do. Because we become insensitive to moral law. Folks, you would be amazed at how many people who claim to follow Jesus just throw moral law out the window. The moral laws of God have not changed. A lot of the ceremonial laws have. A lot of the dietary laws have. A lot of the national laws for Israel have. But the moral law, it's never changed. And Jesus didn't undo any of that. And then the fourth thing is they're impure in their lifestyle. There's a moral deterioration. They are futile. They're self-centered thinking. They're ignorant of the truth. And it says they give themselves over to lewdness or sensuality, which is the absence of all moral restraint, especially in the area of sexual sin. Most people recognize at least some standard of right and wrong and have a certain sense of shame, but after a while, instead of trying to hide what they're doing that was wrong, then they come out in the open and they don't care anymore. They give themselves over. The word impurity or uncleanness, notice it's linked with greediness. You see, greediness, it really is unbounded covetousness. It, it's uninhibited lust for something that you don't have. So the lifestyle, an impure lifestyle, basically comes back to selfishness. I want something from someone else or something that someone else has. That immorality basically is life without any restraint. It's all selfish. That's why it's linked with greediness. So this is the direction that every person without Jesus is headed some of them may not be as far in the open as, as you're thinking here, but, but a person without the Lord is dark, in darkness. 
Now, the flip side of that, notice the changed walk of the Christ-like man. Now, I want you to understand, when I use the word man, I mean women too. We are children of God. That women and men are equal in the eyes of God. We're saved the same way, there's no doubt. So when I use the word man, I mean people. Um, The new walk in Christ is exactly opposite of this. That's why when you say that you follow Jesus, you don't keep walking like you were. You're headed in the other direction. That's called repentance. I'm going the other way. The old is ignorant of God's truth. Now you have God's truth. The old is morally and spiritually calloused. And now you have a new sensitivity to sin. I can remember having people before they've come to Christ, they'll always say, do I have to give up this if I come to Jesus? Do I have to stop doing this if I come to Jesus? And you know what I tell them? I say, you know what? The most important thing is that you repent of your sin and come to Christ. You know what? The Holy Spirit's gonna show you what to do from now on. Because I know the Holy Spirit's gonna lead them away from that sin. But they don't understand. All they can think is, well, if I gotta give that up, I'm not coming to Christ. Well, they don't understand coming to Christ. Because when you come to him, he's going to change everything. The old, depraved way of thinking is, is new now. So what's, what's happened to the to person that's come to Christ? First of all, they have changed beliefs. They think right. You have not so learned Christ. Aorist, active, indicative. Now, why do I throw those terms in there? I want to tell you why. I can do this on a Wednesday night where I can't take all the time on Sunday morning to do it. We hang a lot of doctrine and belief on the tenses of the Greek language. The Greek language, the most expressive language that's probably ever been created. And, and the Lord knew what he was doing when the New Testament was written in Greek. But a verb... If it's a present tense verb, it means continuous action. A perfect tense verb means that the action happens at a point in time and the effects are still going. An aorist tense verb means it happens at a point in time, period. Salvation, you come to Christ at a point in time. You don't get it over a period of time. You may learn more about it, but there finally comes a moment, a decisive moment when you come to Jesus. That's what he, he put that here. It's an aorist, active, indicative verb, a one-time act. It's a direct reference to salvation. When you come to Christ, period. That's why I've told you before, I hope you can go to the time when you met Jesus you may not remember every little detail, but there's a time in your life when you came to know Jesus. Point in time. Just like there was a definite day that I married Laura Dubree. July the 8th, 1978. I know when I married her. It was a definite time. I don't, I'm not in the process of marrying her. She's in the process of training me but I'm not in the process of marrying her. I married her on that day. Well, I came to Christ at a certain time. And he said, when you came to Christ, you didn't learn to stay where you were. One of the first things a Christian should learn is that he, 
He's not relying on himself. And this positional change, you went from darkness into light. You went from death into life. You went from lost to being found. You went from being an orphan to being a child of God, a slave to sin, but now you've been set free in Jesus. Man, that's a good sermon. I may just preach that someday. <laughs> 1 John three fourteen says, we have passed out of death into life. It's a transformation. Two caterpillars were crawling across the grass. A butterfly flew over them. One of them looked at the other one and said, you couldn't get me up in one of those things for a million dollars. <laughs> They're going to have a transformation one day. It says they also, in verse 21, that you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The, the Christians have heard about Jesus. They've been taught. They know the way of salvation. And they've responded. Aren't you glad somebody taught you the truth? Think about it. Somebody invested their life in you. May have been many years ago, but someone invested their life in you to the point that they, they told you about Jesus. And your life's been changed as a result of it. And you're in the minority, but you, the lights are on. I hear these debates and things, and I'm going, how can you think that way? It's because the light's not on. There's no light there. They also have changed behavior. Verse 22, they act right. Not only think right, but they act right. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put off the old man. Heraclitus was a Greek philosopher and partly historian. He tells us in some of the history that the Roman armies sometimes practiced an unusual way of preventing prisoners from escaping. True, this is true. When a Roman general went into battle, of course, some of his own Roman soldiers were killed. And they captured some prisoners of war. Of, and so they would take these prisoners of war and they often took the corpses of the Roman soldiers who had died and put them on the back, tied them to the prisoners for two reasons. First of all, they got the bodies of the soldiers back home so they could give them a proper burial. And the second reason is a prisoner can't run off with a dead person tied on them. Well, the imagery here is almost like that. You, you're, you're letting go. You're trying to get rid of the old person. Now, it still sometimes feels like it's tied around our back, but how do, how do, you, how do you continue to put this off, to let it go, to, to do away with it? And we're working on it the rest of our life. That's why when we finally go home, we, find, we finally left it behind. And you get home to, to heaven and you're free finally. You don't have to f mess with the old man. But notice how you do that. He said, you put it off. That it grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I still struggle with some of the sin I used to struggle with. Or at least I'm tempted. 
Some of the, the temptation doesn't go away, does it? Now, you, you learn how to manage it better, but it still shows up. It's not a sin to be tempted. But you put off the old man. How do you do it? First of all, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Present tense. So what does that mean? To continually be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you do that? Depends on what you put in your mind. The spirit of your mind is something that's like the ability to sense something that's hidden. When you read, you, the Holy Spirit will teach you things and the Holy Spirit will show you truth. And when you, the, the capacity of the mind to spiritually discern the options and the decisions that we're faced with. And the spirit of your mind refers to the moral realm. We can see past what looks like on the surface. You begin to discern things spiritually. You can look past it and look in the deeper things. Wait a minute. That may look good on the surface, but there's something wrong. I see, I see the hook in this. It, it's what Romans 12, 2 means when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are you smarter now than you used to be? I hope you are. Life's experiences teach us a lot of things. The Lord has taught us a lot of things. But isn't it interesting how we can see things that the world doesn't grasp? It's a deep spiritual change in how we think. It's, it's an early warning system or a, a spiritual filter a, to stop temptation. The best way to renew your mind is to be careful what you put in it. And man, do we have to be careful or what anymore? Laura and I don't get to watch a lot of television, and that's a good thing. <laughs> But we like to record a few shows and watch them. I love, I love fast-forwarding through commercials. That's my favorite thing. I don't have to listen to them. But recently, one of the particular shows that we used to like to watch, you could just see it going downhill. So I said, you know what? I'm done watching this. I'm done with this. So we don't watch it anymore. And you, you begin to filter things. And I'm not setting myself up as the example, but trust me. I mean, I'm far from it. But I'm using that as an illustration to, to show you that what you put up here is going to determine how you live. I, I have to be careful what I listen to, especially when it comes to talk talk shows because if I'm not careful I get so depressed and I and I get so angry that it affects the rest of my day and I have to just turn it on and say Lord I'm sure glad you're in control of all this because I sure don't know what to do and I'm not sticking my head in the sand but you understand what I'm saying if all you fill your life with is talk shows and stuff like that you're not going to be a very happy person so there's some other spiritual disciplines. How do you renew your mind to put on the new man? 
Well, I've already alluded to it, but do you ever just read your Bible? Read your Bible. Memorize God's word. We, taught, we were taught in Bible school, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Memorize. When's the last time you memorized? Don't tell me you can't memorize. You, you can memorize. You know what channel QVC is on, don't you? <laughs> you, you know what channel, whatever your favorite show. You memorize. You memorize. Prayer and worship renews the inward man. When you come gather with God's people, it's always encouraging to me. It, it really is. It renews the inward man. It, just coming to, to praise the Lord and sing together and to study his word together and to pray together, to pray and to worship renews the inward man. That's why. That's why coming together and gathering together. In fact, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake that, but come together and exhort one another. Encourage one another. Another way to keep your mind in the right way is to serve the Lord some way. We can't all do the same thing, but we don't need to all do the same thing. Earlier, he just talked about the gifts that were given to the church. We, we have different abilities to do something in the name of Jesus. If it's giving a cup of cold water to somebody who needs it or making a visit or a phone call or praying for someone, do something for the Lord's kingdom. You'll be amazed at how it will renew your spirit. And when's the last time you just shared with somebody about what Jesus has done for you? Nobody can take that away. You can't do that wrong. When you say, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Let me tell you what he's done for me. Nobody can discount that. You're not, a, you know, they may not want to hear it. And they may say, no, I don't want to hear it. Well, then don't tell them. But the fact is, when's the last time you just shared with somebody, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? And of course, attending and coming together, uh, disciplined. I, I, are, are there days when you don't feel like coming to church? Don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, if you're human, there are going to be days you don't feel like coming. But you come anyway. Why? Because you're disciplined. And when you come, most of the time you think, I'm so glad I came today. You do. You know, but you have to make yourself do it. You know, I, I used to tell young people when I was a youth pastor, I said the, the battles won the night before. On Saturday night, you decide then, or you decide on Saturday, I'm, go, I'm, going, to, I'm going tomorrow. Because if you don't, you'll wake up, you're going to think, oh man, I don't want to do this. I try to walk quite a bit. I, I'm off and on. I'm trying to get back on. But I have to decide the night before. I'm getting up early in the morning and I'm going walking. Because if I wait until I wake up, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> you have to discipline yourself to do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to be part of that. I, I want to be involved. I, it's, just, it's just part of it. So, you can see in the backdrop here of a pagan, immoral, wicked place, Paul is encouraging believers. 
He says, you've got a new life in Christ. No one can take it away from you. The world didn't give it to you. It can't take it away. And and now you don't have to think like these folks who are in darkness. And what we have to do is to be patient with people who are in darkness because until they know Jesus, they're not going to change. You got a mean boss, they may, they may not know Jesus. And if they do, then you pray for them for sure. But the fact is, they act, you know, have you noticed that lost people act like they're lost? And we've been believers a long time and we've kind of forgotten what it's like to be lost. But to me, it's sad because I'm thinking these folks are in darkness. And until the light of the gospel opens their eyes, they have no hope. So it gives us all the more the reason to tell them the good news. Let me show you the light. Let me help you out of here. I want to thank you for being here tonight. You folks, Sunday, we're going to start through the book of Colossians. And Colossians and Ephesians are both prison letters, prison epistles. But the book of Colossians is all about Jesus. So we can't go wrong talking about Jesus, can we? Let me pray for us, then we'll go. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these folks who are here tonight. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I pray that you'll make yourself real and known and remind them of how much you love them and that you're right there with them. Thank you for a sweet place to come and, to, and the freedom we have to come in here and open your word and share without any fear. Thank you for the truth that has been taught to us. Thank you for those people many years ago in our own life that shared Jesus with us and opened our eyes. And we know the Holy Spirit saved us, but Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to the truth. May we continue to learn and continue to be people who honor and follow and serve you. Lord, I know you're not finished with us, and we're far from perfect, but thank you that we're not how we used to be. We're still a work in progress. So help us be patient with one another and extend grace to one another as we continue to grow in the Lord. We come on Sunday and pray, Lord, that somebody would come to know you and open their eyes to follow you, whether it be on television or online or in the church. We pray that it'll happen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me tell you one quick thing that was shared today. We have once a month, we have a staff gathering of all the people in our, that work in the building. And there's a lot of us. But I said, you know what? I hear a lot of negative. I want to hear some good stuff. And, and Ryan Anderson, who does our online helps with the live streaming and he's the guy that's typing with people or, or uh, tech, uh, chatting with people that want to when they're watching online. We have about a thousand people a week watching online, but he said, I think he said since August, there've been 30 people led to Christ online on Sunday morning. And so you never know how God's going to use that. Isn't that cool? So that, I'll leave you with that good news. Thank you all for being here. Go and sin no more. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson 
Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening. 